Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. What's going to happen to Smart Home in 2016? Find out as I, Michael Wolf, talk by myself for a whole half an hour. The 2016 Smart Home Outlook, everyone. Hey everyone, this is Michael Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. Today's January 30th, Saturday, nearly the end of the month. And yes, I've been lackluster in my performance early in this year, putting up podcasts, and I'm tired of tired of uh, putting up excuses such as travel. Uh, but yeah, I've been traveling. I actually went back to Vegas twice, as I told you in the last podcast. But you know, in my last podcast, I never really talked about CES too much. And I haven't really given you my 2016 Smart Home Outlook. And so I thought I would give you a 2016 Smart Home Outlook, maybe referencing and po- quite possibly referencing some of the things I saw at CES. And by the way, I, with regards to CES, I don't know if you know this. This was my 18th CES in a row, which is crazy. I actually started following the Connected Home back in 98, walked around the show for and saw companies like Linksys, Netgear at the time, really, it was only companies doing home networking that were about the connected home at that point. And it was early. They were doing things like phone line networking. I remember talking to Linksys about their, uh, and other companies about their attempts to possibly create products to network over their phone lines, for example. And so it was an interesting time, but it's been a fun time. CES at this point, for those of you who go, you know this now, it's a time of the year where you uh, leave <laughs> friends and family from the holidays. Uh, you're probably five pounds, 10 pounds overweight after eating too much. And then you go to CS and you do a lot of meetings, but you also get to see friends uh, in the industry. It's a great place to reconnect with people you've worked with in the past. Uh, you know, partners of yours. So, so that's what I always enjoy. And it was especially fun for me this year walking around. As you may know, I had a party, a smart home mixer, but also just walking around and talking to folks uh People have told me, you know, they enjoy listening to the podcast, and that's actually uh, really kind of gratifying, uh, hearing people who are fans. So those of you who I talked to at the show, um, I'm not going to name you all here. Uh, thank you for those kind words. It was it was fun to hear people, you know, and p- people tell me they listen to every show. That's, that's pretty gratifying and kind of amazing. And so uh, I appreciate that. As I told you in the previous podcast, also, we will be having some great guests coming up. But this show is a solo show. It's me talking into a mic uh, by myself, talking through some of my thoughts around what we see happening in the coming years. So let's get to it. Part of the reason I like to actually write my what's going to happen this year post in January after December is because I actually get to go to CES and observe some of the things that have been thinking crystallized in front of me in the form of products or press releases uh, or announcements uh, from companies. And that was true, I think, this year. One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is how more and more we're seeing this idea of home security and and whether or not it's a managed home security offering from a big company or a DIY offering. The, those lines are starting to blur a little bit. And I think nothing uh, really encapsulated this better th- than I think what we saw out of ADT. 
and ADT has been talking a little bit in advance of CES about its Canopy service, but they really kind of came out at CES with their Canopy service. And their Canopy service, for those of you who don't know, is this, what they're calling security as a service, with the unfortunate same acronym as software as a service, SAS. Maybe that's purposeful. But really the idea is they are going to be offering their service through an API to connected products like the new LG Smart Security Device, that device that's been rumored for some time and was on on display at CES, is going to be the first product that uses ADT's Canopy service. And so, you know, I've been writing for quite some time about how home security is evolving and that the it's no longer going to be uh, the domain and purview of the 25% who actually are willing to sign the two- to three-year contract and pay 60 to $70 a month. Home security will come in many different forms. And to ADT's credit, they recognize this, and they're morphing as a company. And it's hard for big established incumbents, particularly ones that dominate market share, to change their ways. And ADT has shown that they're willing to do that. So to their credit, they're doing it. They're disrupting themselves in a way. LG's product was not the only one that was announced at this time. You know, Smart Things was also announced as a Canopy partner, which is interesting because they, within the last few weeks, had just announced that they're integrating with a Scout monitor home security service. Wink was announced. Ring, August, Kida, and Roost. Roost fascinates me because they're this smart Wi-Fi battery that goes and retrofits into existing smoke alarms to make them smart. But thinking about this canopy service integrated with the Roost smart battery brings up all sorts of interesting potential scenarios. Are they are they are they going to allow your smoke alarm to basically act as your home security hub? I don't know, but that is pretty fascinating. Speaking of smart home services and security services, another trend I've noticed is that it seems like everyone in the smart home space uh, is beginning to realize that there's probably uh, some sort of services angle that they could probably morph towards. And and by and large, most companies have realized that long-term profitability, selling a low-margin hardware product, um, if you're one of many in the marketplace, is probably not in the cards unless you move towards recurring revenue. And so everyone, it seems, is trying to develop some sort of service strategy. This has been most pronounced in the connected camera space where everyone has been adopting what I call the Dropbox model, where you basically get some level of storage for free to record your video monitoring clips uh, in the cloud. But to get access to a full week's window of clips or even longer 30 days, you basically need to pay them $10 a month. You know, I think Dropcam and, and now Nest has been doing this closely. Uh, as well. So I think that this is just a kind of a standard model, but I think that the services model in smart home connected home services needs to evolve past this, these kind of very simple freemium models and start to, you know, these companies need to think a little bit out of the box and whether that, whether or not that's, you know, tying concierge services to a connected device, uh, working with like a, someone who is like a home maintenance company or working with a, uh, a home cleaning service and allowing that to be integrated with a smart home becomes interesting. By and large, companies are going to start to become a little more creative this year. So I think that's a long-term trend for 2016 is smart home services will move beyond just these Dropbox clone services into something that's a little bit more evolved. Another trend that I see coming for 2016 is analytics is going to become a big deal, particularly for those companies providing platform services that consumer-facing companies build products around. Companies like Zonoff, companies like Ayla Networks, GreenWave, and, and companies like that. Adding analytics either as a core part of the platform or as part of an upgrade path, 
I think is going to be increasingly important. And this was really driven home to me uh, at my event where you know, when Alejandro Pena, the, the president of Jardin, who had built the connected crockpot, said – and I've probably talked about this before. He said, you know, they put this connected crockpot together and connected Mr. Coffee, and they were just so overwhelmed by the amount of data they got. And they basically – he basically said they didn't know what to do with the data. And I think this rings true with a lot of these companies putting together the first IoT device. They just don't know what to do with the data. And I think now with this new wave of products – and the companies that are powering the new wave of products, it's going to become important and table stakes that some sort of analytics uh, uh, is, is incorporated into that. What do I mean by analytics? Well, it could be anything. It could be visualizations of you know hyper-local geog- geographic maps. And you can see installs of your device uh, by city, by neighborhood. And then you can overlay on top of that maybe crime statistics. And you can see whether or not your product is doing better. If it's a smart security device in high crime, low crime neighborhoods where people are older, younger, um, where people vote Democrat or Republican, I think that just all sorts of more advanced analytics packages tied to the markets that you're selling into that give you information um, and insights that then can feed back into your marketing campaigns and advertising campaigns is going to be critically important for these companies. And I think that's something that will just become uh, a part of uh a connected home product. This is just something that they'll be building into the back end. One of the trends for 2015 we talked about was just the, the one of the things I've wrote written about is the shakeout that happened to a certain degree in the DIY smart home market, including companies like Wink that had a well well publicized troubles. But you also saw companies like in, in 2014, like Revolve go away. There's companies like Lowe's, Iris, which I think struggled to a certain degree. By and large, there's been a struggle in some of these DIY smart home product categories, particularly kind of the hub space, uh, what I call the four sensors in a hub in a box, the starter DIY kit. I think that in that market, we're starting to see uh, people who provide venture capital dollars aren't necessarily going to want to back those those startups anymore. I also think that we're starting to see a flight to quality in a certain degree from the retail perspective uh, because they're realizing that you know they are not going to put every startup on their store shelves. Um, they want to go with startups that have long-term viability, and so they're starting to ask uh, the hard questions about what you, you know, how you how are you doing, um, what is the long-term path of this, and so I think that we're just going to continue to see that. And if you're a startup looking to make a connected home or smart home product, I think one of the things that you're going to increasingly need to think about is tailoring your product to, towards a very specific life situation. Another term we use is a specific use case, whether that's elder care. Or whatever, or tailor your product towards a very specific part of the home. You know, take a page out of August book, and they said we want to own the front door. Other companies like Smarter say they want to own the kitchen. So, owning a certain part of the house is, I think, is, is important. Blossom makes a very interesting connected irrigation system, and their whole thesis as a company is we want to be the outdoor smart home company. We want to create products for the outdoor, outside part of your house for the smart home. And so, I think that's something that a lot of companies can learn from. And I think that's something that will be necessary as we more move towards this next stage of the market. All right. Another thing I think will be big in 2016 is just the emergence of concierge and commerce layers as as part of smart home products. And what I mean by that is I point to the August Access platform as one of the most intriguing, I think, new efforts in 2015 because it was a new concept. I think it took a lot of people by surprise and said, hey, this is innovation at the business model level, not just about 
adding new technical functionalities, saying, hey, this is a new way to do business. And so the August Access platform is basically what I call a commerce layer or a, a commerce layer that enables concierge services. And these concierge services could be something like your flower delivery company or it can be someone like Sears who wants to repair something in your home. And so August, with their connected locks and their new video doorbell and their new keypad, have this entire suite of technology for the front door. And then they'll say, hey, we can integrate with these third-party service providers and put some sort of code in an app for this, this service technician who's out in the field to get into your home. Now, consumers are going to want to have to let that happen. Um, I don't think this is necessarily for everyone. But notionally, I think this is just an interesting step forward from a business model innovation perspective. Um, and I think it's kind of in tune with the way I think people are starting to manage their lives and their homes. They're using more services because everyone's busier and there's a new kind of wave of services that allow you to do that. And I think integrating with your, your front door is just a logical extension of that. And so I applaud what, what August did here, but I think other people are going to learn from August and say, how can we also create interesting integrations with service providers, uh, enable commerce. And when we use the term commerce more broadly, I've talked so much about Amazon dash. I don't want to keep beating that horse necessarily. Uh, but I just think the commerce piece for smart home in 2016, by allowing people to replenish products in their homes or access services through connected products and automate that is just going to be a big part of the story for 2016. You know, Amazon dash was probably the most high profile effort with that regard in 2015. And that'll continue in 2016 as they made announcements about integrations with companies like Whirlpool. Speaking of Amazon, one thing I wrote in my 2016 outlook that I published on my website, which you can actually find at smarthomeweekly.net. Uh, and it was a small piece because I wrote a longer piece about Amazon and the Smart Home comparing their, their strategy to Apple a couple weeks ago, which you can also see uh, at that same link, is that you know Amazon is just a critical company in the broader smart home ecosystem, not only because they're innovating and creating products, uh, new and innovative products like Alexa as a virtual assistant, as an interface to your smart home, but also because they do so much darn volume for smart home products for companies. I mean, uh, I've talked about this before. One of the things that, uh, you know, I've heard from connected home companies is just the most critical channel to market for them. Uh, particularly in these early phases, if they've done a Kickstarter, post Kickstarter, or even you know if they've been doing products for a while and they're not even crowdfunded, is Amazon. And so I think whether or not you're uh, a company that's part of the curated storefront or not, um, you should definitely try to be one. Uh, they are just critical because they sell so much product into the smart home with their home automation storefront. And they just have, I think, a fairly cohesive, if you look at it and stand back, uh, and see the forest through the trees, or however you want to see that expression. Uh, they just have this interesting strategy. They have a services strategy um, with their. They have a concierge services strategy with their the Amazon Home Services. They sell on their website. They have an integrated IoT commerce layer play with Amazon Dash. They have a virtual assistant interface play with Alexa. They have their own piece of hardware with Echo. I can go on and on, but they're just probably the most fascinating company to watch. I think in the smart home that continues. I think in 2016. Another trend is just the continued maturation of smart home software frameworks. And by that, I mean products like HomeKit, SmartThings, Weave, Brillo. And those these technologies, I think, just continue to coalesce a little bit. I think HomeKit actually will probably hit its stride this year. We, You know, coming into 2015, 
uh, I think a lot of the Alwick pieces and probably uh, a lot of the things I was saying is HomeKit was probably the one thing that would be most interesting to watch in 2015. And looking back in the rearview mirror is a pretty disappointing year, at least a pretty slow year. Uh, and probably it's partially our own faults because we just expected so much from Apple because it's Apple and they were entering, entering the smart home and it was just a quiet year. But, you know, when I go to companies like Home Depot uh, or Lowe's, um, when I go to other places now, I'm starting to see more HomeKit-enabled products. There's actually an end cap at Lowe's uh, with a HomeKit. It was a HomeKit end cap, and they had a video kind of, here's all the things you could do with HomeKit. And so Apple's starting to pour money into this. Companies are finally coming out with products. A good example is the Schlage uh, new HomeKit-enabled SmartLock. Uh, August HomeKit-enabled SmartLock is going to be coming out soon. Um, and just a, a variety of different products will be HomeKit-enabled. So I think slowly but surely Apple's HomeKit uh, efforts are starting to coalesce a little bit, and and 2016 will probably be the year it really comes together. For Google's part, Alphabet's part, or whatever you want to call it, I just think uh, one of their problems is it just so many different efforts coming out of Google, which is it's a product of Google's internal uh, competitive uh, philosophy, where they basically let people innovate and create interesting products. But there is a rhyme and a reason, I think to what they're doing. If you kind of lay out what they're doing, whether it's Google Weave versus Nest Weave, those each have their place, maybe some of the same foundational technology, but one is more in-home focused, one is more cloud focused. Brill is really a software stack play around embedded software for different IoT devices. Thread is really more of a industry standard and protocol uh, that will interoperate with 802.15.4. OnHub is really a Router play, really them, Google's attempt, Alphabet's attempt to re- try and recreate the router. So it all maps out. It's just a lot of stuff that they're doing. I just have to wonder if uh, at some level partners and maybe the consumers get confused. But I think over this next year, I expect to see each of these different efforts mature um, and possibly start to find their place within the market. I certainly think that maybe Google has the mo- most comprehensive of all the different efforts with all these different plays to find their place within the consumer IoT and smart home space. So it'll be a really interesting year to watch. Another trend this year is I think we're going to see a lot of innovation around consumer IoT retail and smart home retail. I wrote a lot at the end of 2015 about a company called Beta, B-A-T-T-A. We had an interview with one of the, the, the founders of the company. And the reason I was so fascinated is because it was just a different model for bringing products to market kind of a showroom model. It was really just a different model. And I think going to market with a clean, fresh sheet of paper and really trying to innovate around how you bring products to market, kind of like Target's doing with their concept store in San Francisco, I think it's going to be really important. Really important. So I think we're going to see more of this in 2016. And we may see some pretty big departures for some big retailers from the traditional way of doing business as they try to figure out how to play in the era of IoT and how they try to sell their products to consumers. So that'll be an interesting uh, area to watch. Keep an eye out for that. Next up, I have some interesting categories to watch, product categories for Smart Home for 2016. One area is the SmartLock space. I've been following the SmartLock space for three or four years now. It's an area that continues to see more innovation and more companies entering. Um, There has been kind of the the new entrants, um, the Young Turks from a couple years ago, like August, that I think continue to be interesting like Unikey, which is whose technology is was is within Quickset, um, and we're seeing new companies come to market, like 
Friday Labs, and they were interesting to me because they came out and they were the first company that with their Friday Smart Walk that included Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and Thread in one walk. I mean, that's kind of crazy if you think about three radios in one walk. Um, whether or not they pull it off will be interesting to see, and whether or not they can get the battery performance. And that's a company I'll be interested to watch. To watch, Schlage is finally out with their Bluetooth lock. They're shipping the Schlage Sense. Um, as many of you know, I'm a fan of integrated touchscreens for smart locks, and so I think the Schlage, Schlage Sense smart lock that's Bluetooth enabled with that pretty cool looking touchscreen. Um, I actually really like that. It's also one of the first locks out there to work with HomeKit. I know that August actually has their HomeKit lock coming pretty imminently. So I think this is something that's going to become more common. But the Schlage Sense Lock is out there. It's got a nice touch screen. It works with, with HomeKit. Uh, so I think that'll be interesting to watch. Now, another interesting space to me is the connected doorbell, the video doorbell space. I spent some time at CES talking to SkyBell, and they announced their, of course, last year they had their new SkyBell 2 that they started shipping. Um, they have some really interesting, interesting things in store for 2016, I believe. And just generally, I think the connected doorbell, the smart doorbell space is getting interesting. I see really about four companies there that are doing significant volume. Uh, once Watcher, SkyBell, Ring, of course, uh, was one of the early ones. Now August has their video doorbell and Vivint. Uh, because Vivint is, you know, one of the biggest security companies in the U.S., they're an interesting company because they do their own hardware. Um, I actually have a Vivint smart doorbell at my house. I've been using it probably for the last four or five months. I like it a lot. It works pretty well and integrates well with their overall home security system. I think that space will be interesting to watch. We'll probably see more entrants in the, in the space. I think it was Westinghouse that had that Frankenstein uh, smart lock slash doorbell um, or video monitoring system, which was kind of interesting. I think that was Westinghouse. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but we'll, we'll probably see a lot of other entrants as well. So I think people have realized that this idea of monitoring your front door using a fairly low-profile camera at the doorbell um, makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're going to have a video uh, feed from somewhere in your house to kind of monitor what's going on, doesn't the doorbell, the front door, kind of make the most sense of all the places? I tend to think so. And also, uh, quite generally, I've heard this term creep cam kind of going about. You know, people are starting to get wonder if do we want all these video cameras in our house? There's worry of people, uh, you know, maybe getting access to these, whether or not that's, you know, that'll happen. The You know, the odds of that are probably pretty low, but just generally the worry about that is getting higher. But if you have a camera on the outside of the house, it's not as much of a worry. You're, you're trying to actually just worry what goes on and who's coming to your house. So I think this is going to be one of those really interesting categories and a, a fairly fast-growing category for 2016. Smart Kitchen, as you guys know, it's an area that is uh, one of my favorites to talk about. Uh, I continue to follow it very quickly. And we are having another Smart Kitchen Summit this year. But I went to CES and checked out a lot of different Smart Kitchen products. Uh, one of the areas I think is going to be really interesting to watch uh, for 2016 is just generally uh, connected devices that handle liquids versus solids. Because I think smart thing like smart cocktail mixers, for example, or the Keurig Cold, which is actually, actually a pretty cool product, um, there's just a lot less friction when you're a consumer, to actually have some sort of liquid mix for you, have some intelligence built around it, um, I think it's as opposed to using some, some sort of robotic food-making machine, which there's just so many variables when you start talking about foods, the consistency of it, uh, the density of it. But with liquid, liquids, uh, it's it's maybe just a little less friction. A, a good example is I saw this company. It's a startup called Somovar. 
S-O-M-A-B-A-R, Soma Bar. And they had a, uh, a robotic cocktail mixer. And they had these different, I think, six different chambers. Uh, and it mixes cocktails. It actually was pretty cool. And, well, you you may wonder, well, do I want one in my house? So I think a lot of people drink cocktails at home. And if you can have someone make a really cool cocktail for you, uh, or you can do it yourself from an app, that makes some sense. Another area I think is going to be big this year is just data and analytics around food. Um, you're just starting to hear companies uh, talking about data plays around analyzing kind of deep deep insights around what's in your food, using technology to get there. Uh, companies like Init that is starting to integrate and work with uh, leading appliance makers uh, is really all about trying to understand food. Uh, and that's kind of their big play. So they're going to be an interesting company to watch. They announced a partnership with with Perch. Uh, they also announced a partnership with Good Housekeeping. So that's a really – both of those, if you think about it, are some pretty interesting potential partnerships Uh that I think are going to be ones to watch. Food commerce continues to be interesting to me, whether or not that is replenishment using Amazon Dash, whether or not someone like Blue Apron starts to embrace technology more, or even companies like Teforia, which, you know, making this uh, robotic connected tea maker with subscription models to enable you to get great tea and really understand that tea at a deep level. Uh, that's interesting. So there's a lot of business model innovation going on as well as, a, as well as a lot of really interesting technology innovation uh, both of those axes are very active uh, this year for Smart Kitchen, so keep an eye on that. Home appliances are getting interesting. Uh, just in general, this kind of overlaps a little bit with the Smart Kitchen, but just companies like Whirlpool are finally starting to say, hey, we really need to be on the cutting edge, maybe partner with some big companies like Amazon who are doing a lot of technology innovation, but we need to really kind of revamp our approach towards the home, make things more connected, and really try to figure out how this works over time. Now, I think, you know, the kind of the first step always is let's add some connectivity. But then they have to start thinking, these companies all have to start thinking, what's next? And I think they're kind of getting to that second level thinking a little bit, um, maybe trying to figure out what that business model is that that connectivity enables. Uh, companies like LG, uh, GE, et cetera. Um, maybe, it, you know, it's going just beyond having some sort of sensor or, you know, some sort of image recognition uh, in your refrigerator or some sort of weight sensor. Uh, I just think that they're starting to think about, okay, what's next beyond this? What type of data analytics can we get? What type of business models can we enable? And that'll be an interesting space to watch in 2016. Another interesting area will be virtual assistants, instruction engines, AI, just kind of this general overall category, grouping in things like Alexa, IFTTT, who knows, Facebook's M, the mysterious new virtual assistant from Facebook. And the reason I bring up Facebook is, well, as we know, Mark Zuckerberg's, one of his things that he really wants to do for 2016 is understand how he can apply AI and artificial intelligence to the smart home. It also just so happens that Facebook is working on a top secret virtual assistant technology called M. Whether or not M actually starts to interact with your home and controls it, I would imagine that he might want to double dip or at least maybe dip into that wealth of technology and capabilities and apply it to his home, uh, kind of the place where we spend a, a good majority of our time. So we'll see what happens there. We'll see if uh, if actually Facebook maybe gets more involved at some level with the smart home, kind of taking uh, some of the things that Mark Zuckerberg learns in his own experiments and applying them and, and letting maybe us have some of those technologies will be a, a really interesting thing to watch. There are other AI 
companies, companies like Josh.ai making a virtual uh, assistant or AI technology that is actually tailored towards the smart home. It'll be interesting to see what those guys do in this coming year. And then just generally companies like IFTTT, which I wouldn't call virtual assistants, but more kind of cloud-based uh, integration and instruction engines. Uh, there, I think there's going to be more competition there. Companies like Stringify and maybe a few others. Another interesting category is smoke alarms. Nest got it all started a few years ago, Nest Protect, and they've had a, a few high-profile stumbles um, in that market, to say the least. But I think they continue to be interesting. And then there's other companies like Halo Smart Labs, which has the Halo smoke alarm. Uh, I've talked to those folks uh, for a podcast about, I don't know, maybe four months ago. But they have a really interesting connected smoke alarm, has a couple of different uh, sensors in it, um, has some really interesting capabilities to alert you beyond to things beyond just smoke and carbon monoxide. And then lastly, Roost Smart. Roost uh, is a company that uh, is about really low power Wi-Fi, but they had this idea that they wanted to create a Wi-Fi battery to recreate the smoke alarm. We've talked about that. We've talked to them. But think about that. All these different ways in which you can uh, reinvent the smoke alarm. So we'll see who else enters this market and where these companies go in the coming year. Another area I think is, is interesting is water. Um, just when you look at the water system in your home, the water network, I think it's a fairly underserved area for smart home. And there's all sorts of interesting new and innovative ways that people are starting to apply IoT to water consumption, dispensing, monitoring in the home, whether or not that's just kind of a water sensor or some sort of uh, smart type of plumbing that recognizes that there's a leak, um, whether or not that's just a plant watering system. There's actually Parrot, the company that makes some of the coolest drones, was really one of the first big innovators in drones, actually makes a smart plant pot. Like, that was pretty interesting. It was kind of a, a random thing, I thought, for them to be doing. But, you know, if they are just uh, see themselves as a broader consumer IoT company, uh, drones being one area, uh, connected plants and pots another, it makes sense, I guess. But I think that's an area that I think you'll see more interest, both from innovators as well as big companies. Delta um, had really kind of came out at CES with their own water sensor. They were also at the Kitchen Bass Show. Um, you know, they have a, a lab that does a lot of R&D around connected products or just looking at it. And the first product they decided to do was a water sensor, which is a little bit different from what you expect from Delta, which is, you know, faucets and fixtures for water. But, you know, I think it makes sense that they would kind of go slowly and do a water sensor. That's that's one of my hot areas to watch for, for 2016. And that's really it. I probably could have covered a lot of diff, uh, different companies. There's probably a lot more areas that I think would be interesting to talk about. But for the sake of time and for the sake of just kind of keeping this to a manageable size podcast, uh, that's really it for now. Um, if you have any thoughts or questions yourself, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Michael Wolf. If you are a smart home industry person and you are going to South by Southwest and you want to go to a smart home industry party, that's what I'm doing. I'm putting one on. So uh, why don't you email us? Email us at info at nextmarket.co uh, and uh, say, I want to go to your smart home party. And uh, we may have a few tickets to give out. If you're going to be at South by Southwest, we're going to have that on March 15th. And lastly, thank you for everyone for listening. Uh, again, I really enjoy talking to everyone who listens to the show at CES. Uh, those of you who do listen, uh, I appreciate the kind comments. For those of you who haven't subscribed to the Smart Home Show, you can do so on iTunes, find us on technology.fm, or just in your favorite podcast player. All right, folks, that's it for now. We'll talk to you soon.